Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Stand and find Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 19, and we look forward to what God is going to do in our hearts through this passage of Scripture. The Word of God is applicable to us and it will be helpful to us as we allow it to work in our lives. Acts chapter number 19 and verse number 1. Acts 19 and verse number 1. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's read together here verse number one. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers, or different, were hardened, and believed not, but spake evil of that way, that way, notice those words, that way, before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Father, would you guide us today as we look at your word and this, this historical account that is true and has been inspired for us. You wanted us to be able to read in this, in this day, in this year. Lord, I pray that we gain from an understanding of how we ought to be uh, focused and looking at the world around us and dealing with the, the age in which we live. Lord, I pray that you encourage every heart here today, and it's in, in your name that we pray these things. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. And I should just say that the, the dinner uh, on, on or 6.30 is the dinner on Wednesday night, and 7 is the program. So the service time is the same. There's a dinner ahead of time uh, if you want to come and be a part of that. And so we encourage you to enjoy Wednesday night. So I want us to realize that uh, the need of every person in America is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
uh, the need of every problem or the solution to every problem is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't say that lightly. That's not just like a magic, a magic pill. That is the reality. The need of every person in America is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the reason that we see the problems that we do around us in our country and even in our own lives is, is some, something is wrong in the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether, uh, whether a person has not come to Jesus yet or whether a person who has come to him is struggling in their relationship, the need, the fundamental need of every person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we consider that this morning, do understand this, one of the hindrances to the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ is religion itself. And what do I mean by that? Religion is a man-made system by which a person uh, believes that they merit uh, favor with God, the God of heaven, or with God's little g, uh, with some God in the world. And so they believe by, by going through these rituals or attending this, this, um, this gathering or uh, by being baptized or by doing good things, it's a, it's a man-made system of works by which a man makes his way to God. And so if you think back, to the Tower of Babel in Genesis uh, chapter number 11. What was it that man was going to build this, build this tower, and they were going to go higher than anyone else has ever gone. They were going to get to God on their own. And the fact is, God confounded them because that's impossible to, to achieve uh, righteousness with God, uh, uh, achieve the merit of God, the favor of God on our own as sinful individuals. And so religion uh, is constantly keeping men uh, running after different, uh, different uh, demands of, of organizations, constant to-do lists, constant things that they must do in order to think that they're achieving uh, uh, righteousness or favor with God. In fact, in the world, there's 4,200, uh, there's an estimated 4,200 different religions. And you think about the confusion that comes with that. By the way, when the Bible says that the, um, Satan, the devil, is the author of confusion, one of the questions I get often as a pastor is, why is there so many churches? Why is there so many religions out there? And you understand that Satan has done very, very well to bring great confusion uh, to our world today. And so many will find a false sense of security in a religious tradition, right? Uh, I, I've done that over and over. I, I, I am faithful to attend that gathering, or I, I've been baptized way back then, and they find a false sense of security in a religious tradition or in some good work that they have, have done in the past. And they, they, they base their eternal life, get this, they base their eternal life on that, that religious experience or that tradition that they followed through on or that ritual. And because they have been taught by religion that that is what they must do in order to merit favor with God. And so what does that have to do with us today here in this passage? Paul comes back into Ephesus on his third missionary journey, just like he had promised. And I want us to notice on the map there how that Paul has come back into this place, and it is there in Asia Minor uh, where he has come to this great city of Ephesus, this city that is very overrun with paganism. In fact, the, God, um, the, the main worship of the city was unto the, the goddess Artemis, who was the god of fertility, and you can just imagine how, how uh, immoral uh, the, the, the society was there, and as I mentioned last week, it was just, it was full of immorality and uh, a focus on sensuality. Uh, sounds a little bit like America today, um, but the, the fact is, it was a city that was very key. It was a commercial port city. It was a city that had the arts. It, it really had a lot going for it, but when Paul came in there the, on his second missionary journey, he began to just 
uh, preach in the synagogues and plant the seed and get it ready. God sent Apollos there that helped it a little bit further. And then Paul promised when they had an open heart uh, to receive him, Paul promised, I'm going to come back if it's God's will. And so he is back in the, in the, um, in the city of Ephesus. In fact, uh, there might have been a couple years that transpired. Uh, we find that the second missionary journey was right around 49 AD, and, and after that, the third missionary journey is 52 AD. And so it, there might have been uh, some time that had elapsed there. He'd gone home to his home city in Antioch of Syria, and now he is back in Ephesus, and he's ready to, to meet the need that is there. Upon coming into Ephesus, though, he finds this group of men that... Uh, that really we could describe as religious. And what I want us to gather today is how that God's work, uh, word will work in any situation. When we use it, God's word will always work. And sometimes we become a little bit intimidated by, wow, there's so many different religions out there. Then, you know, how do we cut through all the confusion? God's word will work when we use it. God's word will work when we use it. Amen, friends? And friends, it's not the problem of God's word it is the problem of our use of it and the, and the willingness to, to, to pour out into others what God has given to us. And, and we're going to see how that Paul just simply used the word of God and communicated that to religious individuals and beyond the religious individuals, even the pagan uh, individuals, and it worked. It worked. And we ought to take great hope. Oh, it's getting so dark out there and in the world so sinful. God's word has not changed. It has not lost its power. And, and, and one of the reasons it's good for us to go through the book of Acts is to see that they had challenges just like us. If we go back and study Ephesus, it wasn't like Ephesus was far off from America in the sense of its, its debauchery and its wickedness and its, its licentious, uh, licentious behavior, the, the immorality and all that. It's not that far off, but God's word worked there. God's word work, can work here. We should believe that, and I hope that you'll you'll carry that away with you today. Notice how we have the devotion of the religious there in, in, in Acts chapter 19, verse number one, when he met these certain disciples, disciples. Now notice that word, disciples, we use it in the context of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. When we define disciple, we're talking about a, a committed follower of Jesus Christ, all right? A committed follower of Jesus Christ. However, at its root, disciple means learner. It's a student. Uh, we have kids that are in school here and they're students or they're disciples of math. They're disciples of English and history and so on. Do you, you catch, uh, you, you that are in college, you, you are disciples of, of, of that, that professor. You're a follower, you're a learner. So at its root, it's a learner. Here it is not that these were disciples of Jesus Christ. These are just disciples. These are certain. Uh, these are individuals that were following a teaching. They were learners. But uh, along with that comes the idea of someone who is, who is devout. These, did not, uh, these were not forced into this. This was something they willingly were. They were willingly disciples. And Paul has a divine appointment with them. I love this word, finding certain disciples. It's the idea, it's like it happened as if by accident. Uh, by the way, the, the, the intersection between you and a lost person or a religious person where you have the opportunity to share Jesus Christ is not an accident. Uh, though it might seem like happenstance, God directs our ways, doesn't he? And it's amazing how he directs our ways. And he, he crosses us in an aisle in the store. I can remember back, there was a, there was a man that uh, I led to the Lord, and, and he had kind of fallen away from the Lord, and, and I, I was burdened for him, I was praying for him. And even now, as, I, I, as this story comes to mind, I was praying for him, and uh, I, I, I still pray that the Lord will help him along and help him to grow. But I remember being in a store and, and walking down the aisle, and like, 
you know, it was an odd time of day to be in the store and, and seeing him. And I'm thinking, well, I, I, need it. I need to be able to talk to him. And you know how the Lord just, the Lord just connects your, your, your time and your path with other people? And that's what happened here in, in Ephesus. Uh, Paul was connected with these certain disciples. He, he found them. He discovered them. Now, if you consider our world, about 85% of our world identifies with some religion. With some religion. Um, you know, there are people that say, I'm irreligious and, and so on. But most people that you talk to uh, identify, well, I'm with this group or I'm with that group or I'm with this group. And so when you consider that, uh, those folks are not doing that because they're insincere. And I want us to really catch a hold of this, this thought. Um, people follow something because they're sincere about it. Uh, they're, they're devoted to it. They, they, they believe that there's, there's an answer here. They, this is meeting a need in my heart. And so as you consider these disciples there in Ephesus, these were individuals that were devoted. They were sincere. And, and I think that also ought to color the way that we approach them. Uh, and we're going to see how Paul approached them. Sometimes our, our tendency is if they're not like us, then we immediately start finding how we can, how we can like, uh, get after them and, 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 and correct them and, and so on. Friends, notice what Paul does here. How does he approach these devoted disciples, these devoted religious individuals who were sincere in their beliefs? How does he approach them? Would you look at verse number two with me? He said unto them, read the next phrase with me. Are you there with me? All right, read together. Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? What did he do here? He asked a question. He asked a question, friends. And Paul led with a question, or led with questions. And it wasn't the only question he asked. He clarified, after they gave their answer, he asked a clarifying question. All right, what do you mean by that? What are you actually saying? And I want us to understand how important it is to ask questions when we're dealing with this world around us. Understand that questions open the heart, accusations harden the will. So you go up against them and, and you say, well, I'm just going to tell them now they really ought to think. And you might lose them. Uh, because in their heart, they're saying, hold on, what makes your thoughts better than my thoughts? And you get in a struggle of the wills and so on. So questions open the heart. Accusations harden the will. And Paul is attempting to understand, what do these guys, uh, what do they think? How are they thinking? How a person thinks, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in the heart, so is he. So when we see a person acting a certain way, do you know what's important is to find out how they're thinking? Hey, by the way, I, I think this with, with parenting uh, it's important to know what they're thinking. Uh, why did you do that? What was going through your mind when you did that? Now, you might get back. I don't know. You might get that back, okay? Uh, but it's important to know what they're thinking, and sometimes uh, what they're thinking might be wrong, and that's why they did what is wrong. And then you can help them correct, correct their thinking and therefore correct their actions. But friends, by finding out how a person's thinking, it's then that you can connect the good news of Jesus Christ to them to them specifically, to their, their specific uh, need. And so here it is. Uh, they, were, they had this, this thought. He says, have you received the, the Holy Ghost since you believed? And he goes, we haven't even heard about the Holy, uh, Holy Ghost. Well, well, this is a problem if you hear this because the Bible tells us later on in Ephesians 1 and verse number 13, in whom ye also trusted, that being Jesus Christ, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed. Now notice the next phrase. Ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, 
Acts has a transi transitional element to it in that we are transitioning out of, uh, out of an old way of thinking into the church, the, the church age. Uh, it, it has some transitional elements. So at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon those that had already believed and, and, and dwelt them. And three times we find, we find that going on throughout the book, on the book of Acts. We, we find where the Holy Spirit is coming upon. But understand this, that today when a person calls upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, according to uh, Ephesians 1 and verse 13, the moment you believed, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And friends, if we do not have the Holy Spirit, we do not have Jesus. And you say, well, hold on. Where does the Bible say that? Romans 8 and verse number 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be, the Spirit of God dwell, dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our salvation. It's like, a, it's like the earnest money that you put down on the house. It's the down payment of this is what is to come. And God says, hey, listen, I, I'm promising you eternal life in my presence for all of eternity, and my down payment to you, my, my guarantee, my earnest to you is this that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. So when they're answering back, we don't even know about the Holy Spirit, there's a problem there. There's a problem uh, that Paul is, is beginning to uh, note through his, his questions. So he asks them. Now, um, the importance of this that Paul's demonstrating to us is he was listening to them. He listened. He listened to them. Hey, hey what, what's, what do you understand about the Holy Spirit? Have you received him? And he listened to them. I also want to just note this. It's easy for us to take a, a hostile posture toward those that think differently than us. And if you don't believe that, just look at the world around us. Is that not what we are being conditioned to do all throughout our culture? If you don't believe like me, I don't like you. You all see that in society, right? We can't take that posture with the world. There needs to be a heart of respect and love. Not because... How many of you believe that this is the infallible word of God this morning? doesn't have errors in it. It tells us the way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. This is the way. I, I, I make no apology for that. But you know that there are some that are, are sincerely deceived in the path that they're going on, though it's contrary to the Bible, in the path that they're going on, they're sincerely deceived, right? And if we go to them and we take a hostile posture, we're going to lose them, Right? And so what does Paul do? He asks the question. I also want to remind us of this, that when Jesus was, was getting angry, you know, sometimes people talk about, you know, the anger, the, 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 the righteous anger of Christ. Who did he get angry against? If you're in my class this morning, you, you have a, a leg up on this. Who did he get angry against? He got angry against the Pharisees, the religious, that had already rejected him, knew the word of God, and said no to him. Did he get angry at the woman at the well? Did he get angry at the woman caught in adultery? Did he get angry at the rich young ruler? No, no, not at all. He loved them and, and wooed them to himself and helped them to understand. Did he get angry at Nicodemus? No, Nicodemus came with a seeking heart. And friends, we have to have a, a posture that is, that is kind and is the heart of the Lord Jesus. He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. That's a proverb. Proverbs 18, 13. And we can do that, where we, we answer before we actually hear somebody. So learn to ask a question. Uh, a couple months ago, in our soul winning seminar, you learned to ask the question, what is your church background? What is your church background? Ask questions. And 
and allow people to talk and listen, and then you can connect the word of God to them. So what happened with, with Paul? He discovered what was going on in their life. He discovered the misunderstanding that was going on. Verse number three, and he said unto them, unto what were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. So now he's realizing, hold on, these people have been misfocused, and he understood what their on this misunderstanding was. They were baptized uh, either by John, and that would have been uh, probably uh, a little bit more than 25 years previous, or by some of John's disciples. It is said, and Linsky says it, uh, that, that, uh, that it's said in history that John's disciples kind of uh, splintered out and, uh, and, and tried to continue to perpetuate his baptism. So some of them did that. Not all went with, uh, with, uh, with Christ or some of those that had been impacted by his ministry continuing to perpetuate his ministry. And so it's possible that these were baptized by uh, a, another individual that, that had been baptized by, by John and, and so on and were perpetuating his thought or, uh, or it, was, it was twisted a bit by the time it came to them. Have any of you played, uh, I know we're not supposed to gossip, but have any of you played gossip where you're, you're playing in a circle, right? And you're saying, you're starting, is it called gossip? I don't know that. Telephone, all right. That, I like telephone better because it just feels wrong to play gossip. It is, okay. Let's stop. Um, but anyway, you know how it gets around the circle by the time you've, you've answered, right? right? And, and even that happens uh, in, in scenarios like this. So uh, however they were baptized, they were, they were basing their faith, they were basing their, their, their understanding in this baptism, okay? So these disciples believed that they were all good, sincerely believed that they were all good based on a past religious performance, experience, and friends, we are living in a world where we are, we are surrounded by people who believe they're all good because of some religious experience. Do you see how Paul got to this place where now he's, he's opening up the conversation to be able to talk? And he didn't bash. Nowhere are you going to find, well, you guys are just dumb for believing that. That's just not the way, you know. Uh, he, he very kindly directs them to the truth, and we'll see that here in a moment. But whatever the, the past religious experience is, whether it's a, a church attendance, a baptism, praying the rosary, or uh, going to mass, or whatever the religious experience is, I'm, I'm just a good person, or I, I was saved in a car accident. I hear a lot of people talk about that. You know, I was, I was saved in a car accident, and therefore I'm, I'm saved, and God's going to accept me into heaven. Uh, I, I saw him in a dream. You know, and whatever the religious experience was, uh, going through a religious ritual does not save you from your sin or give you eternal life. And so Paul could not leave these disciples, these devoted religious individuals, uh, lost in their sins. The Bible tells us it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. And so uh, he has to go on with them. So what does Paul do? He declares to them the gospel and first he starts out with this uh, with this baptism issue and he point he, he points out what was the point of john's baptism what was the goal of john's baptism and he says this in verse number four john verily or truly baptized with a baptism of repentance huh this isn't believer's baptism. What is this? This is a baptism of repentance. And I showed you this chart last week, and it's in your notes again, uh, again today. John's baptism versus um, um, believer's baptism. And you can study a little bit more on that, but let me just whet your appetite with that. John's baptism really was all about, uh, all about um, being prepared for the coming of the Lord. And so his, his goal was to be a forerunner of Christ, to make straight the way 
for the king to come, for Jesus to come. And when Jesus came, what did John say? Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So he did not say, I'm your Savior. He's like constantly pointing to the king that was coming, to the Messiah that was coming. The baptism was a preparatory baptism, uh, uh, helping people to uh, come to the place of realizing their need. It was, it was a baptism unto repentance, as we'll see in a moment. And so John's baptism was, was really leading people to be prepared for, um, to receive the, the Savior. John's baptism did not save. Baptism does not save. Nowhere in Scripture do we find that baptism saves. Baptism is always connected with our profession of Jesus Christ. So here's the other thing that was going on. In the Jews' day, there were ritual baptism. Baptism wasn't just something distinct to Jesus. And, 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 and so it was something that was going on in that day. So it wasn't far out. You're baptized as an identification with a, a body of doctrine or, or people and so on. So there was baptism, that uh, ritual washings and baptisms that were going on, and even the Jews required the Gentile proselytes, those that converted to Judaism, to be baptized or to, uh, to, to follow through in that way. So John was calling the Jewish people to be baptized as a sign of their repentance in preparation for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, realizing their own need for, uh, they had no righteousness, they needed to repent of their own sins. So Mark 1 and verse number 4, it says this, John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Uh, looking forward to the remission of sins is the idea. And so their repentance did not equal salvation. It was a preparatory, it was a preparatory uh, act, a religious act, that uh, he was calling the people of Israel in specific to um, as they prepared for uh, the coming of the Lord Jesus, uh, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So the point of John's baptism was preparatory and was about repentance, personal repentance. So that's where these guys were. Now, whether they were baptized by John or baptized by a disciple or a, 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 someone else who learned from John, we can't be sure, but that's what they were basing their faith in. And friends, tell me, is that, is that salvation? Yes or no? Now, some of you didn't answer because you're like, I don't know what's the right answer here, all right? All right. No. How do we have salvation? Well, what did John point them to? And this is amazing what he does here. Look at verse number four. So he verily baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying unto the people, all right, he's saying unto the people that he was baptizing, this was John's message, that they should believe on him, which should come after, that is, on Christ Jesus. So even in his message, he's going, hey, uh, we're being baptized under repentance. Are you, are you ready for the, the coming of the Messiah? But he says, hey, you need to believe on him. There's another, there's another I don't want to call it a, a, a step, but there's another facet of this. So you need a, a, we're being prepared to look to him. And remember, there's, again, some transitional times here, but this is what John's role what, so the, uh, his baptism did not equal salvation. They needed to believe on Jesus Christ like, just like you need to believe on Jesus Christ to be saved. Are you with me? Have I confused anyone? All right, I don't, I, amen, so be it, I've confused. I don't want to confuse them. No, no, all right, are you all with me, okay? Okay. So Paul used the words of John, though, to help these guys out. And this is something else I want you to really catch. In dealing with the religious, what did he do? He didn't, he didn't just say, well, I say, this is what you need to believe. He actually went back to the verse and used the words of John himself, the very words of the man they respected, to help them see the light. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? God was guiding Paul's conversation. It was very, very wise. 
You know what? There are times where we will use something that someone has said, maybe that they're a respected individual, that something has said that points the, points the way, but understand, uh, using, using, being wise in our conversation, and Paul pointed them in the right direction. He pointed out, hey, John didn't believe that this was it, that his baptism saved. Uh, he, he said, believe on Jesus Christ, and so they still needed to make that decision. So what happens? When they heard this, they believed, right? They believed, they accepted, they heard this word, just like Acts 2 and verse 41. When they heard this, they, they, they uh, were baptized. They followed in, in believers' baptism. The Bible says, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be right. That is the way of salvation. Now, we're not talking about a, you know, just a casual belief. Oh, yeah, I believe Jesus came to the earth, and I, I believe that he's a real person. I believe that he died on the cross. It's not a casual belief. It is a, it is a full-out belief. It is a heart dependence, a, a, a total dependence on Jesus Christ and his person and his work. He went to the cross, died in your place for your sin, and he's offering to you now, as the resurrected Lord, he's offering to you the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Will you receive it? Will you depend on his work? Will you, hey, when you go to the restaurant and someone else offers a pay, it's always interesting to watch, uh, you know, ladies and how that goes down when ladies are, are trying to pay for one another and when guys, uh, it's always a war. You know, when guys, hey, I'll pay. No, I'll pay. No, I'll, I got the receipt. You know how that goes and everything. But you know, sometimes you're laughing. <laughs> it's true. And then there's a little bit of that, that tango or uh, sometimes people are a little bit, um, I'll pay. And you know, don't, don't quite get to the receipt. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, when you think about letting someone else pay for it, you have to, you have to trust in them. Hey, they got this. Uh, I'm relying on them. I'm not going to walk out of this restaurant unpaid. I'm relying on their, on their pain of this. And friends, it's a total reliance on Jesus Christ. It's a total reliance. It's not, oh yeah, I'm a, I'll, I'll supplement it. No, it's a total reliance on Jesus Christ. And how important that is. You know, many people seek to add to Jesus Christ and they seek, to, uh, they seek their own good works to add uh, and, and try to be good enough for God. It won't work. It's not by works of righteousness. So they receive Jesus Christ and they were baptized, identifying with Jesus Christ. And uh, Paul lays his hands on them. They receive the Holy Spirit of God, and, uh, and they speak in tongues, and they prophesy. You're like, oh boy, uh, now what's going on there? All right, uh, understand this. This is the third and final time that we find uh, speaking in tongues come up in relation with the, with the Holy Spirit. Tongues were a little language. We find that uh, later on in 1 Corinthians 14 when it's further explained. And God deals with this matter in his church and whether that's to be going on. If you've noticed, we don't speak in tongues around here, uh, but we do need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And, uh, and so this is the third and final time that tongues are associated, uh, are associated with this. What is tongues? Well, the Bible actually tells us in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse number 22, the epistles explain what we see, uh, see laid down in the, in the Gospels and in Acts so he, he says this, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but unto them that believe not. And so uh, God used the tongues, the miracles, and so on that we'll see in the next message. He used all those to confirm the message and the messenger. Remember, they didn't have the Bible. Turn to Acts chapter 19, right? They didn't have the Bible. So God used uh, uh, signs and wonders to confirm his message. And he did that in the lives of the apostle. And so this wasn't to, to get money for the apostle. Have you ever noticed how much money is gained? How much money is gained by those that are doing signs and wonders today? 
supposed signs and wonders. And it's not about Jesus Christ. It's about filling someone's pocketbook. Um, so understand that this was for a purpose, and it is, it is a part of the transitional sense of the book of Acts. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, charity never faileth. Love doesn't fail. Amen? We're always to love, right? We're always to love like Jesus Christ. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. There is a, a sense where what happened in the book of Acts wasn't everything that would continue to happen. And so here's one of those situations. But God confirmed that this was real in their lives. And so as, as Paul declared this message, they received it, and it was very real. They were saved, and they now had the Holy Spirit of promise living within them, dwelling within them, filling them uh, to do what God had asked them to do. So what does Paul do? Does he stop there in Ephesus? No, no. He just continues to preach the word. And I want us to notice, lastly, the diligence of Paul. The diligence of Paul. Notice here, Paul had been very, very careful to deal with these devoted religious individuals. He declared Christ to them. Now he continues on. He's very diligent within the city. Notice verse number 8. And he went into the synagogue and spake, what, friends? Boldly. I appreciate that you're looking at your Bibles this morning. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. So he just continues on to the next place in the city. It was his practice to go into the synagogues. Why? Because there was a, a self-ready-made you know, gathering there of people who had a heart to follow after God most of the time, most of the time, or at least had a sense of, of their need for God. Now, many of the people in the synagogues rejected Paul's message all the way throughout the cities that he went through. They rejected his message over and over and over again. But interestingly, the last time that Paul was in Ephesus, we find that they opened up their hearts in Ephesus, and they were very hungry, and they, they begged him to, to stay, and what did he do? The Bible says he, 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 said, uh, he said no to them. The, literally, the word is that he nodded his head like, no, I can't, and he had to get on the boat to make it to, um, to uh, Jerusalem in time. God knew what he's doing, and he brings Paul back to Ephesus after he traveled through the upper coast. He brings him back to Ephesus, and now he's there in the synagogue again, faithful to the promise that he had made to them, and so he's speaking boldly. The idea of boldly is openly, openly. He speaks openly with the message. Friends, we cannot hide the message of the gospel. Well, let me try that again. We cannot hide the message of the gospel. We, we should not hide the message of the gospel. Well, the Bible doesn't do anything by accident. Paul was there as, as the one God had sent into that city and into that synagogue, and he opened up his mouth and boldly preached the gospel, boldly preached the word and spake the word. And, and, it, and it took different tones. It wasn't all just in a, in a gathering like this. It was, it was conversations. He's boldly declaring openly, straightforwardly, honestly, uh, and, and freely speaking without fear the word of God. Friends, we need that in America again. Our city needs that. Your neighborhood needs that. We need that. And it's not going to start out there. It's going to start with us. It's going to start with you. You say, well, I, I, can't, I can't boldly speak the word. Have you heard of the Holy Spirit? Does he indwell you? Has he lost his power? Has he lost his ability to give you words to say in a moment? You have the ability, the same ability Paul had 
to speak openly and boldly. If you will walk with God this week, if we will, we will honor God in that way, we can speak his message uh, with openness and freely. Friends, we ought to, we must do it. Now, what did Paul do specifically here? He, by the way, he just did this consistently. The idea is he, he did it every day. Every moment is the tense of the word. It was just, it was ongoing. It wasn't something, well, I'll just do this once a week. It was something that was permeated his life. But it says he disputed and persuaded. That word disputed really is a pretty heavy word. Like if you're in a dispute, it, it sounds awful. But the idea of the word dispute was he discussed and he was in conversation. So this wasn't just a, a declaration necessarily. It was that, but it was also discussions back and forth, hearing their questions, talking with them, uh, trying to figure out what they think, and, and so on. It was a discussion. And what was, what was he doing with this disputing? He was working at their intellect. He was discussing with them uh, and trying to help them to understand the truth. But then we have this word persuading. It really has to do with the will, persuading their wills, helping them to take a step to trust Jesus Christ. And he was doing both of this. He was discussing. He was open for conversation. And he was persuading, convincing them the truth of Jesus Christ, specifically of the things of the kingdom of God, that God's kingdom wasn't about the millennium at this point, that God was building his kingdom, a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of men, and he was preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, and so understand that when Paul was preaching here, he was not ashamed, like he said in Romans, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and so he's preaching right here to these Jewish individuals and he's open with his message will you be open with your message this week will you be open with the word of god what could you write down today that you could take and give to somebody tomorrow be ready and asking god who can i share this message with who can i share what i've heard on sunday uh, who can i share that with on monday how can i take this message and be open with it you know if you have that heart i believe that god will open up those doors don't you believe that he's good too if we if we're pliable uh, Someone has once said that even God can't steer a parked car. What do you think about that? Sometimes we are pretty parked. And it's a step of faith. God, where is that person that I need to give your message to? Who is that person you want me to connect with? And you start walking and let God do the leading. I being in the way, the Lord led me. The Lord led me. Sometimes we're not in the way. We're not ready. We're not in the frame of mind, and I, I can admit to that in my own, in my own life. Lord, there are sometimes I go out in my day, and I'm not in the frame of mind to be talking to people. And Father, forgive me. And we need to be open with that message everywhere we go. So what happens? He's opposed. Verse number 9, no surprise. There's divers or different people that were hardened as they heard over and over this message, this conversation, this, uh, this persuasion that Paul was doing there in the synagogue. They over and over heard it. And through a process of rejection, they became very hard to the message. They rejected. Now listen, rejection's not on you. That's between a person and God. We believe in individual soul liberty as Baptists. And so as such, every person is responsible before God for their decision, right? You're responsible for God, before God for your decisions today. And so as such, uh, this wasn't on Paul. He was a faithful messenger, but they had hardened their hearts. They believed not. The Bible says in John 3 and verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so uh, this matter of believing in Christ was crucially important, and they had not believed. In, in fact, they chose to speak evil against Paul. What is that? The idea of his uh, slander, uh, verbal, I mean, even the idea of verbal abuse. Um, it, it was speaking foul language. 
I don't know about you, I just watched yesterday down in, uh, down in the middle of Dayton uh, in the protest against, uh, against the, the pro-life issue, which is a biblical issue, amen? We learned that last week. But I was, I was very uh, intrigued to, uh, to hear um, them chanting, uh, not the church, not the state, um, you know, it, it basically about abortion. I'm, 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 I'm drawing a blank here how they chanted, but they said, not the church, not the state. Basically, it's, it, we will choose what is right, not the church, not the state, not the church, not the state. Well, you friends, you just understand this, the, the coming persecution against those that are standing up for God's truths, and life is God's truth. Jesus gives life, Satan takes life. You see how twisted this is and how twisted our society is now and, and how we're dealing with a society that, that believes that standing up for life is actually mean and, and not loving. See how twisted Satan has made our society, right? And so just understand, you know, they weren't chanting foul things down there, not that I heard on, on, on the news, but they were, it just it struck me, not the church, not the state. We, uh, uh, women will choose what is right. And uh, so... Um, it is interesting how in here in Ephesus, they were cursing and they were using foul and abusive language against Paul. Uh, Paul didn't stop, but they, it says here that they were doing this against the way. The way often referred to Christianity, the way of following Jesus Christ. Paul persecuted those that were in the, in the way. And so that is a reference to, uh, to uh, those that follow Christ. But, um, you know, sometimes as believers, we think, well, that's how the world reacts, so we're doing something wrong. Now, there is a chance that we've done something wrong and we're, we're, we're hostile in our posture, and so we've brought offense to the gospel. But friends, the gospel in and of itself confronts the sin of mankind. And there will be an offense, there will be an inherent offense with the gospel of Jesus Christ because it confronts a person where they are. And if they're not willing to change, they're either going to change or get mad. And friends, God's word will work when we use it. And so sometimes we look at it and say, well, there's some anger against the gospel, specifically the, the preaching of, of, of Jesus Christ. There's some anger against that, so we must be doing something wrong. Not necessarily. The gospel was working. As, the Bible tells us we ought not be offensive. We ought not steal. We ought not lie. We ought not be offensive in our own, in our own personal way. We ought not cause an offense. But if the gospel causes an offense, that's another thing. That's a, that's a matter of, uh, that's on, on God's hands. That, that's his word uh, confronting man's sinfulness. And so Jesus said to his disciples, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. And they persecuted the prophets in that way as well. And so he says, rejoice, don't, don't get disheartened. So Paul didn't quit. We shouldn't quit and just be prepared even as you go out this week, if you got, um, get an open opportunity, perhaps you might get pushed back and you say, oh, I just did the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing. I shouldn't have done that. Hold on. Did you do it in the right spirit? And if so, by the, with the help of the Lord Jesus, did, did you do it in that way? And if so, leave it in God's hands. Allow the word to work. Allow the word to work. It's amazing how we get mad at the messenger and forget that the messenger is just delivering a message from God. And the world does that. And so Paul did not quit. He goes on, look at verse number nine. He disputed daily in the, the school of Tyrannus. He continued for the space of two years. He discussed there in this school. It's interesting. Apparently Tyrannus made his lecture hall available to traveling teachers. 
Uh, there's a Greek manuscript that adds that the school was available from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. when most people would have their noon meal and afternoon siesta. So uh, perhaps Paul was at that point coming in uh, during those days and just discussing the word of God, discussing the gospel, preaching it, boldly uh, declaring it. Do you know what's interesting? We might read past this verse and miss the power of the word of God. Remember our, our point today? God's word or Christ's word works when we use it, right? So it worked with those 12 disciples that needed their thoughts adjusted, these religious individuals that needed their misunderstanding cleared up. It worked with them. They received Christ. They're saved. And now here in this, in this synagogue, there's people that are hardened. There's not, they don't want to receive it. But you know what? The gospel went forward. The word of God went forward. Let's look at the last phrase there of chapter, uh, chapter 19, verse 10. So that all... Which, were, which dwelt in Asia, heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So that all. What does all mean? You talk about message saturation right there. God published his word all the way throughout Asia. That's amazing. God's word is triumphing forward. It's going out. God told us to preach the gospel to every creature. What's happening here? God's word is going out to every creature in that area. Paul is having amazing success in declaring the word. God is the one who gives the increase. Uh, Paul said to on the Corinthians, I, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. And we're laborers together with God. And so God is working. And Paul is in this moment, he is really seeing amazing success of God's word being spread all the way throughout that region. Some believe that it is at this time that the seven churches of Asia Minor were planted there in Ephesus, uh, in Smyrna, in Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and these are the churches that were mentioned in the um, first three chapters of, of, Ephesus, or of Revelation that Jesus wrote letters to, and uh, Paul also said in Colossians 4 and verse 13, for I bear record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in uh, Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. And he's talking from this point of view, from Ephesus, he's talking about how that, that God has done all this in that, in that region. And it's pretty amazing that, that the Holy Spirit writes down for us then all that were in Asia heard. And I have a question for us today. Have all in our city heard? Have all in your neighborhood heard, and that's a conviction to me right there, have all of your family members heard? Could the Holy Spirit write down about our lives, your life and my life, that all of those in our region, in our area, have heard the word of God? I didn't say have been saved. We get focused on the numbers of those that get saved. Has everyone heard? We're to be faithful. And friends, we can get really faithless right there. We have in America, we have this come and see mentality to the things of, of, the, of the things of the gospel. And we, well, they must come to us and then we'll give them the gospel. No, the Bible says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And friends, some of the reason that we do not see the conversions because we forgot to go ye. We forgot to go to the synagogue and, and, and preach the gospel there and be there in their presence and, and have the conversations with them and have that influence in their life. And let me just challenge you in the summertime as you go. Listen, some of you might be going to other states on vacation, but that doesn't, doesn't neg uh, negate your obligation to take the gospel and take the word of God there, uh, to take 
gospel tracts there and be ready to preach the gospel in that place and to see divine appointments in that place. Uh, it also doesn't negate, summertime doesn't negate our responsibility to get the gospel out in our region. Yesterday we went out and, and started passing out uh, invitations for adventure camp. And on the back there's the gospel there and got to have a conversation with, with one. It was a little bit of a ghost town in Kettering yesterday. Uh, everyone must have been somewhere, but they weren't where we were. And so the fish, uh, the fish weren't out uh, yesterday as much. But nonetheless, going out to them. We have this come and see mentality. Well, they didn't show up. Well, did we go to them? Friends, we get really faithless about this. Uh, you bemoan, you, well, where's the growth? Hold on, hold on. Have you gone to them? Have you gone out to them? Jesus did not command the lost, come into the church and hear the gospel and be saved. He commanded the saved to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And the word works when we use it. And so we must be very faithful to take the word to them. Uh, George Barna, in a, in a recent study uh, and summarizing, it says this, the culture is impacting the Christian church and the Christian faith more than the Christian church or the Christian faith are impacting the culture. And that's a, that's a really uh, startling statement. And he is a, a, a man that has given his life to studying the culture and stu- with statistics and just in, in studying, doing, uh, doing, um, doing survey-type work. And it's really a great help to churches to understand what's going on in the culture. But do understand this. As we stay inside of our little bubble and we don't obey the Lord Jesus and go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, we lose our effect on the culture. They need us out there. And sometimes we say, well, they're protesting. Well, what happens if, if, if we sought ways to get out into the midst of people to seek to give them Christ, give an answer to their need? Are they satisfied? No, they're angry. They're angry. They're troubled in their soul. Their spirit's like a, like a, you know, a Eurocladon on the, on the, on the Sea of Mediterranean. It, 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 they're, they're, they're not at peace. And so they're warring with one another. Why? Because they have a spiritual need and they're crying out and that's the way they cry out. And so we need to get out there to them and impact them just like Paul did here in Ephesus. He went to them. The word works when we use it. Yes, there's going to be opposition, but it will work. It will work. It will work. So how are you going to use it this week? Is there something that you've heard even today in class, here, or here tonight that you could take and give to somebody this week that you would have ready, Bible-marked notes from, from today, that you'd have ready to talk to somebody tomorrow? Lord, you'll give me somebody to talk to. I'll just open up my heart and share with them. I'll be careful to ask them questions and not assume things. I'll be careful to listen to them so I can, I can communicate your word with effectiveness you have the Holy Spirit, and he will help you. One last verse. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 18. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 18. We're not spreading a useless message, friends. We're spreading a message. We're spreading truth, absolute truth. Absolute truth. Absolute truth. This is not a fairy tale. This is, this is something that has been proven true over and over and over again. It's verified. It's true. The world is, is scram, uh, scammering for absolute truth. They don't know. It's all based on your own personal experience. It's, it's a real mess. But we're giving a message of absolute truth to this world that changes life now and their destiny after death. 
That's a pretty amazing thing. We have that privilege, and it does work when we use it. Are you all there at 1 Corinthians chapter number uh, 1 and verse 18? Let's read there all together out loud. Ready, begin. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. It's the power of God. Friends, do you realize what was just said there? When you declare the word and declare the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, and yes, I'm a sinner, and yes, we deserve hell, but Jesus Christ loved you so much, he died in your place, and he offers you eternal life. You declare that it is the very power of God unto salvation. God steps in and begins the work. You're not going with this, you know, this little, you're not taking a, uh, you know, a small sword to, a, to a, uh, you know, a, large, you know, a large knife fight. I mean, you're, you're taking the word of God, the all-powerful word of God, the sword of the spirit that discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You're taking it to this, to this conversation. It will do its work if we use it. The sad thing is we don't use it as we ought to. And what I'm imploring you to do is be ready to go out into the world this week and ready with a word on your lips, the word in your hearts, and use it, use it. Ask God for those opportunities, and let's ask him to help us with that um, before we leave today. Would you bow with me in prayer, and, and let's just have uh, you know, an attitude of prayer here this morning uh, as we would commit these things to the Lord. As you're bowed there, I just want to, I want to ask you, are you ready are you ready to use the word? Are you willing to? Are you willing to use the word? Paul spake the word for two years. In fact, the Holy Spirit does not tell us about converts at that part. But the, word, uh, the Holy Spirit does tell us that he was faithful to go to the synagogue and go to the school of Tyrannus for two years and speak the word of the Lord Jesus. That's that's encouraging to me because you and I, every single one of us can do that this week. Are you willing to openly, freely declare the truth of the gospel like Paul? Are you willing to do that? How many say, my heart, God's touched me with that. I, I hear the message this morning. That is my prayer. I want this week, not in future months. I want this week. I want this week. I'm asking God for an opportunity to openly declare his word. Could I see your hands this morning? Would you give that to a testimony to the Lord? I'm asking God for that opportunity. All right? And then walk on it, okay? Walk on it. Let's stand. Father, would you guide us right now? Uh, we, we want to do right. We want to do your will. I, I, I very much doubt that there's someone here this morning that totally is just resistant against you in every way. I, I believe here... Lord, is a gathering of, of believers that does want, that has a desire to, um, to obey and follow you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us, give us the power, give us the strength uh, to do your will this week and to openly declare your message like Paul did. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Would you find a place to pray this morning and commit that to the Lord? Seal that decision that you're making this morning uh, with the Lord. Find a place to kneel and just, just talk to the Lord. Come on and just talk to the Lord this morning. Lord, I'm going to need your help. I need you to set up the divine appointment. And when you do, I'll, I'll talk. I'll talk. I'll openly share, like Paul did. I'd encourage you to be a part of witnessing weekly with our church, Saturdays at, 10, uh, at 1 o'clock. If that doesn't work, find a place. Maybe it's a Sunday afternoon. Come before the service and go out. 
but find a place to, to personally be engaging in, in declaring the word and, and, and discussing with people. Are there people on your prospect list or in your life that you know need to come to Jesus Christ? They're religious like those disciples, but they need a conversation and you need to talk with them. Would you set up a, an appointment with them this week? Hey, can I take you out to lunch? Can I go to coffee with you? You want to come over to my house? And allow God, give God the opportunity to open up the door. I'd be remiss in not asking, but friends, this morning, if you know for certain that you're saved and on your way to heaven, that you don't have, that you have the forgiveness of sins, you have eternal life, you trusted in Jesus Christ alone, would you give testimony to that this morning to the Lord? You know you're on your way to heaven. You have a, a Bible reason why, why you're on your way to heaven. You've trusted in Jesus Christ. Would you put your hands up to that? If that's you this morning, amen, all across the room. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I would like to invite you right after the service, be out at the Welcome Center. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to talk with you. Is there anyone like that today who'd say, Pastor, I, I am concerned. I don't know for sure that when I die, I'll spend eternity in heaven. I don't know that my sins are forgiven. Uh, Pastor, please don't point me out, and I won't. But uh, I, I, I do have questions about that. Is there anyone like that here today? I do have questions about eternal life. I don't know for sure that I, I'm ready for heaven. Anyone like that? Father, we give you praise for working in our hearts today, and we pray that you would take, uh, help us to take this message with us so that we might please you and that we might get the word to Kettering, to our neighborhoods, to our families. Help us, Lord. We so much need your help. We are helpless, but you are the helper. And so we ask for you to be with us this week as we obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.